Chapter Thirty One of The Snow Burner by Henry Oyen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Chapter Thirty One The Squaw Man. A day after Reivers drove out of the Indian camp, Dumont's camp had something to talk about. A half-witted, crippled-up squaw man went through with a couple of squaws, and the youngest of the squaws was a butte. The old bum hadn't stopped long, just long enough to trade a chunk of caribou meat for a bottle of hooch, but long enough, nevertheless, to let the gang get a peek at the squaws. Dumont's camp opined that it was a good thing for the old cripple that he hadn't stayed longer, else he might have found himself minus his squaws, especially the young one. But Dumont's camp would have been mightily puzzled had it seen how the limp and stoop went out of the squaw man's body the moment he had left their camp behind, how the foolish leer and stuttering speech disappeared from his mouth, and how, straight-backed and stern-visaged, he threw the bottle of hooch away in contempt and hurried on toward Fifty Mile. Reivers had played many strange parts in his tumultuous life, and his squaw man was a masterpiece. Fifty Mile had its sensation early next morning. The half-witted, crippled-up squaw man with the two extremely desirable squaws came through, stopped for another bottle of hooch, and drove on and made camp just outside the settlement. "'He certainly was one soft-headed old bum,' said Jack Raftery, leaning on the packing-case that served as bar in his log-cabin saloon. "'Yes, men, he certainly is bumped in the bean and locoed in his arms. Give me that chunk of meat there for a bottle of hooch. About fifty pounds it'll weigh.' I'll give him a gallon, but he grins foolish and says, Bottle, one bottle. Drag your meat in, says I. Well, gents, will you believe he couldn't make it? No, sir, paralyzed in the arms or something. That young squaw his did the toting. A butte? Gents, there never was anything put up in a brown hide to touch it and that low-coat old bum running around loose with it. Tempting Providence, that's what he is, when he comes parading round real men-folks with skirts like them. Shouldn't wonder if something had happened to him one of these cold days. Looks like he might have been an awful good man in his day, too. Well built. Reckon he's been used mighty rough to be low-coat and crippled up the way he is. I reckon drawled Black Pete, who ran the games at Raftery's, when there was any money in sight. "'I reckon, too, maybe he get handle more rough sometime if he's hang around long with them two squaw. That small squaw's too chic, she, to belong to an old bum like him.' The assembled gents laughed. Had they seen the old bum at that moment, their laughter would have been cut short. Reivers, in a gully out of sight of the settlement, had thrown away his hooch, pitched camp, tethered the dogs, and made all secure, with a swiftness and efficiency that belied the characterization Black Pete had applied to him. He had the two teepees set up far apart, 
the dogs tied between them, and Tilly and Neopa had one teepee and Reavers the other, alone. Having made camp, Reavers knew what the boys would expect of him in his character of sodden squaw man. Having resolved to use the most shameful means in the world to achieve his end, he played his base part to perfection. "'Do you take this chunk of meat?' he directed Tilly, "'and go down to the saloon and get another bottle of hooch.' "'Yes, yes, I know I have destroyed one bottle. You are not to ask questions but to obey my commands. Go down and trade the meat for hooch.' Do not stop to speak to the white men. Come back at once. Go. But down in Rafteries the assemblage had no hint of these swift changes, and they laughed merrily at Black Pete's remarks. What do you reckon his lay is, Jack? asked one. Booze, replied Raftery instantly. Nothing else. When you see a man who's sure been as good a man in his day as this relic, trailing round with squaw folks, you can just naturally whittle a little marker for him and paint on it, another white man as the hooch he's got, Sabby? I trace him out as some prospector who's got crippled up and been laying out amongst the Indians with a good supply of the old frostbite cure alongside of him. Nothing to do but to hit the jug often enough to keep from getting sober and remembering what he used to was. Sabby? Been laying out, sucking the neck of a jug till his old thinkers got twisted. I've seen dozens of them. You can't fool me when I see one, and I saw him when he was coming through the door. Ran out of hooch and was afraid he'd get sober, so he comes down here to get soaked up some more brings his load of meat along to trade in, and these two brown dolls to make sure in case the caribou have been down this way, which they ain't. Bet the drinks against two bits that he'll be chasing one of the squaws down here for another bottle before an hour's gone. They all do. I've seen his kind before. Black Pete took the bet. "'Because I'm unlucky, moi, lately, and I want to lose this bet,' he explained. Raftery laughed homerically. "'What's on your chest, Jack?' demanded one of his friends. "'I was just thinking,' gurgled the saloonist, "'what'd happen in case this stiff gent iron here was to run in about this time.' "'By gar,' laughed Pete. An iron hair, he's just about due. At that moment, Tilly came waddling in, laid down her bundle of meat before Raftery, and said, One bottle. What I tell you? chuckled Raftery, handing over the liquor. Boss get him laid out, eh? he said to Tilly. But Tilly did not pause for conversation. She whipped the bottle under her blanket and waddled out without a word. "'Well, I'm a son of a gun,' proclaimed Raftery. "'That old bum has got him well-trained, anyhow.' Black Pete pulled his beard reflectively. "'Come to think,' he mused aloud, "'there was one rifle on those sledge. "'I think maybe I no go visit these old bum, his camp, 
till she's little better acquaint with moi. End of chapter 31 Recording by Roger Moline